It is uh, good to see you all this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but a morning that we get to be uh, led by our children in worship and see children getting baptized, that is a good morning. Um, and so we're really excited. We're so thankful that uh, you all are here uh, this morning and um, we're excited to be able to worship God together through singing, uh, through seeing baptisms, through communion, uh, and now through the diving in of his word. And so before we go into uh, what our sermon topic is today, I want to just take a couple minutes in case you're newer with us or whether you've not been able to join us for the rest of the series previously, but we are week four of, your, of a series called Share Your Style. And it's this idea of the different evangelism styles, the different way that God has created each and every one of us to be gifted and equipped to share our faith with people, but it may not all be the same way that we probably picture. That for many of us, we think of the idea that it has to be this direct evangelism style, this style that just goes in front of large audiences or is just very clear and is, talks very clearly and directly. And so our first weekend, our first week was this idea that direct evangelism may seem or may come across as being in your face, but the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. So this idea that it, it, it might come across as in your face, but that's because the decision to follow Jesus is a direct and important and life-changing eternal decision that sometimes we need to be able to just have that direct conversation with someone. And there might be people in our lives that are kind of tiptoeing and not sure, and what they need is that direct, clear call, clear uh, exposition of the gospel in which they can respond. It might seem face-to-face, but the motivation is to help have people meet Jesus face to face. The next one that we talked about the second week was this idea of the intellectual style. And in the intellectual style, our main point was the idea that faith doesn't, and Jesus doesn't mean we have to check our brains at the door. And for many, it is through their brains that people will walk through the door of faith. This idea that we think, oh, well, in order to become a Christian, you have to turn off your brain. That is unequivocally, absolutely not true. And in fact, if you truly seek truth, the word says that if we seek him with our own hearts, if we seek truth, we will find Jesus because Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. And so this idea that we recognize that it's not about just checking our brains at the door, but that we can help speak to people whose minds work so sharply, and that's how they understand who Jesus is, that we could speak to them clearly and point to them clearly using intellectual reason and logic in order to point them to the fact that Jesus is the truth. And so if Jesus is true, then that changes everything in our lives, and we give our lives to him and surrender. And then last week, uh, our youth pastor, Dan Goodham, did a great job talking about the serving style. And, And one of the points that he hit on was the idea that our actions for the gospel are equally as important as our voice for the gospel. That is 1 John 3, 18 and 19 talk about this idea that we have to love people not just with our words, but with actions and deeds as well. And so he did a great job painting that picture that we have to be able to serve and have a posture of service with those around us so that those far from God might be open to receiving the testimony, the gospel of who Jesus is because we've served them first. And that opens the door for them to hear the good news. So this week, we're going to talk about the testimonial style. And before we go any further, I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to open up God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that this is the day that you've made. We rejoice and are glad in it. Lord, I thank you 
I thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises. I thank you for the opportunity to have our children up here and being able to sing to you and do hand motions and lead us in song. And I thank you, Lord, for Joshua and Jace and Kyle uh, being baptized this morning. I pray that this will be a morning that they remember um, and that it will have just a powerful change in their lives. And we're so grateful um, for them, for these young men that are coming to know you in a deep way. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help everyone to know, whether they're in this room or listening online later, that you love them, that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they walk into this room or before they push play online. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak your love into their lives so clearly this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're talking about the testimonial style this morning, and, and I want to share when um, Shaylin and Elise, uh, when Elise was first born. So Shaylin is uh, three years and eight months older than um, Elise, and when Shaylin, we had to have this transition, right? If you've had two kids, you kind of know there's like this emotional transition where your oldest child is used to being your only child, and then you kind of have to re-navigate and let them know that we still love you. And it's not like our love is now parceled out. It's the idea that our love, our hearts and the love that we have for our kids just continues to grow. And so we're able to love uh, multiple kids. But with Shaylin, when Elise was first born, it was a big transition. And so what I would do is I would put her to bed and we would lay in bed and we would just start, she's like, daddy, tell me a story. And so I started making up these stories uh, about her and a couple of her friends and they would run into like all these different animals and, and like each night would like build upon the night before until it got obnoxiously long. But it was one of those where for some reason, all of the animals names, as we started going it, like there were all like, there was a cat and then there was a rat and then there was a meerkat for some reason. And there was like a bat, like they all had to rhyme. I don't know why, but that's the beauty of making up stories, right? Is you just go with it. You get to share. And so she would say, daddy, tell me a story. And then she's come to share later on that like all those stories made her scared before bed. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, they weren't like violent or anything, but it's like, they're like intense. And she's like, ah, and then she couldn't sleep. Um, so typical dad rallying up the kids before bed. But this idea of the story was something that all of us, we love stories, and whether you're a three-year-old and eight months telling, wanting to hear your daddy tell you a story, or whether just throughout our lives, the story idea is something that's so powerful. In fact, um, inside the, uh, in a book called The Storytelling Animal, How Stories Make Us Human, Jonathan Gottschall says, we are, as a species, addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Now, I want you to just think about it for a second. Think about how much of your day has some sort of connection with either telling, listening to, or understanding a story. That maybe it's the story of, of waking up and saying, hey, did you have any dreams last night? Did your mind tell you something, a story at the middle of the night? Then maybe you go to work and, or you talk to your, your kids and you, you're like, hey, what do you expect to happen today? And maybe you read something in the news from the previous night or maybe you read a sports article. And for me, I love sports. And sometimes when my team isn't in it, which has been often recently, uh, you want to go for the best story. You see March Madness coming up and you want to see what story do I want to follow? What story do I want or which team do I want to win because of the story? Then maybe you go and you sit around uh, the Keurig or the water cooler, but now that's a Keurig, I don't know. But you go and you talk about 
what happened in your, your day last night? Or what was your weekend like? You hear stories and you go home after a long day and you sit at a dinner table and say, hey, tell us a story. Tell us what happened in your day today. What, what was your day like? What happened? Who did you talk to? What went on? Maybe after the kids go to bed, you decide to read a book that's filled with stories or you want to watch TV that has filled with stories and you keep going to binging Netflix because there's lots of good stories and we're surrounded by stories. And stories have a way that if you've read a good story, it penetrates your heart and your soul in a way that is beyond just, oh, I liked the plot development and the fact that the character had a redemptive arc to it, right? <laughs> it's this idea that it goes so much deeper because stories have a way to open up our hearts in a way that pure information never could. And so if I were just to come up here and just talk without any idea of where we're going, and if I just were to talk at you for 35 minutes, like, oh, I, I had information exchange. I learned something with my head, but sometimes in order for something to go from our head, we have the greatest distance in our lives we have to face is the 12 inches from our head to our heart. And then from our heart, how do we deal with that? How do we wrestle with that to our hands, and how do we change our lives because of it? Head, heart, hands, and you can't have that strongly and, and, and have a powerful impact for a long amount of time without the heart, without story. So here's our main point for this morning. People love a good story. What better story can you tell than how Jesus changed your life? People love a good story. And what better story can you tell than how Jesus changed your life? As much as it's fun to tell stories about bats and cats and rats and meerkats, if that's the greatest story that I tell my daughter, then I have fallen woefully short as a dad. But if we can encourage her and share her the story of our lives come to know Jesus and how, how much he loves her and how much he loves both of our girls and how they can have a relationship with Jesus, that this becomes something where the greatest story we can tell is the story of how Jesus changed our lives because that is one that is personal, powerful, and impactful to those around us. So I'm going to have you turn into your Bibles to John chapter 9 as we look at a story who has someone who has the testimonial style of evangelism. That in John chapter 9, we see that this is the story of a man who was born blind. And I'm going to summarize the first seven verses and, and then we'll dive in going verse by verse for the rest of it. But in these first seven verses, you know, the disciples have a dialogue with Jesus. They see the man born blind and they say, Lord, who sinned, this man or his father, that he was born blind? And Jesus says something beautiful in verse 3. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That there are times when we have, and this is kind of a sidebar, there are times when we have really tough things going on in our lives. And we can cry out, is it, is it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Is, is my family member sick because I did something wrong? Or did they do something wrong? Or whatever it is. And... Jesus here says that when there's things like that, like blindness in this case, it's, it's not always directly related to whether that person did something wrong. But it's a way in which God can bring glory to himself, that when we are in the midst of, of sickness or pain or heartache, the way that we point to Jesus, that God may be glorified and his works might be displayed through sickness, through heartache, through pain. But then we see this, that Jesus goes and he finds the man and he spits into the ground, rubs the mud on his eyes, on the man's eyes, tells him to go to the, the pool, wash it out. And when he does, the man 
is no longer blind. The man can see. And so this is where we want to pick up that starting in verse 8, this isn't in your notes, but one of the things that you'll see is that when we have our lives changed, when our spiritual blindness has been taken away and we're able to truly see who Jesus is, we see this idea that those closest to us are the ones that are going to notice the change. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. My best man, uh, when, we, uh, when I got married, he and I would take John 9c out of context all the time. And forgive me for this, but this is the part where we say, hey, man, you are so John 9c, which just means I am the man. Like, it sounds like so like, it's fine. We'll talk about it later. Um, so verse 10. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Notice right away that the man just tells what happened to him. He doesn't know all the details. He just says, this is what I was told. And so that kind of shows us the people closest to us, the neighbors, the people that have seen this man day in and day out are the first to notice the change. That when we give our lives to Jesus, when the blindness of spirituality or blindness has gone away and we fix our eyes on the author and perfect of our faith, the ones who will notice it most quickly will be those who are most closely related to us or those who are around us. That can be good, that can be bad, that can be hard, but that is the truth. The next point, or the point that's actually in your notes there, is that some people, when it comes to this testimonial style of evangelism, some people will question you, but it's hard to argue with a changed life. Some people will question you, but it's hard to argue with a changed life. Let me continue reading verse 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made this, the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how could a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. We'll stop there, but as we look at that, the Pharisees wanted to discredit Jesus. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was who he said he was because like all of us, if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means our lives have to change in order to follow him. That that's the same tension we feel today. But they, didn't, they wanted to keep to their traditions and not take hold of their Messiah. And so what happens here is that he's, they're trying to investigate him. They're trying to poke holes in his th They're trying to say, well, what happened? What happened? And he starts to... Just give the, the basic idea of, well, this is what occurred. But then they start to say, well, he didn't keep the Sabbath. So he must not be from God. Or, oh, you know what? Well, he, how could God, how could he do this amazing miracle if he wasn't from God? And there's division. And in the meantime, the man whose life had just been changed is sitting there. And he's probably thinking, like maybe some of us have, is that sometimes all those theological questions or, or attacks or whatever it might be, or people questioning you or trying to argue with you, that in the end, we don't even know all the answers. What we know is that Jesus saved us, that things are different now, that I once could not see, and now I'm able to see who Jesus is. 
that there's a story in Mark chapter five. We're not going to go to all of it, but it was a man. It was a demon possessed man who was in chains and he was in the tombs. And you kind of see this part where the people were afraid of him, that he would break from the chains. Well, Jesus goes and he sends the demons out. They go over a cliff and the pigs. And then all of a sudden there's this man and he's like, Jesus, let me come with you. I've, I've had a changed life. Let me go with you. And this is what Jesus says in verse 19 in Mark chapter 5. He says, Jesus did not let him go with him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed that Jesus could have had the man come with him and been another disciple. But instead, this man became one of the first ones to be able to go and share the good news of Jesus. And he didn't have all the theological answers. He didn't have this perfect, you know, um, acronym of like salvation, S, super cool. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he had all these things lifted out, listed out. What he knew was, is that he once had a demon inside of him. He was once bound in chains, but now not just the physical chains, but the spiritual chains had been broken. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he's experienced freedom in multiple ways. And so he says, Lord, let me come with you. But she says, no, you need to go and listen to verse 19. It doesn't say have all the theological answers to every question ever. It doesn't say that you have to be perfect in knowledge of all things forever in order to share with someone. He says this, go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That's what Jesus says. Go and tell people in your own hometown, your own people, how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them the story of how I, Jesus, how Jesus changed your life. People love a good story. So what better story can we tell than how Jesus changed our lives? The next point for you is we come from verses 24 through 26. The point for you is that don't let what you don't know change what you do. Don't let what you don't know change what you do. And I'm going to just jump down to verses 24 through 26. In between 18 through 23, the Pharisees start questioning his parents. And his parents, out of fear uh, for not wanting to be kicked out of the synagogue, say, well, I don't know. Go ask the man. He, he's of age. You ask him. So that's where we jump into verse 24. A second time, the, uh, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They keep trying to go back to the method, but they're missing the message. They're both trying to say, well, well, how did he do it? What did he do? He's like, I once was blind. Do you think I know how the molecules of my eyes started to work and all of a sudden there was vision there? No, no, no. All I know is that this man, whether he was a sinner or not, a prophet or not, whoever he was, what I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. So for us, we go and we tell people how much the Lord has done for us and we don't let what we don't know stop us from remembering what we do know. He didn't know the theological answers. He knew his life had been changed. It's hard to argue with the changed life. When someone was once pursuing a way that was far from God, and then they make a U-turn and their lives are changed, it is hard for us, hard for anyone to say, well, 
why did you do that? Or what, it's, what changed? Jesus. What, what, what method did you do? Did you go do this? Did you take these steps? Did you do that? What, what, what did you do? Jesus. Let me tell you how much he's done for me. I once was blind, but now I see. Then we're going to jump down these last couple, last point here in this top section is that when you're done answering questions, don't be afraid to ask some of your own. When you're done answering questions, don't be afraid to ask some of your own. So when someone is asking us questions about what Jesus has done in our lives, or, or why are you different? Or, hey, I noticed that you used to be this way and, and now you're that way and what, what's going on? Share your testimony. Share the good story of how Jesus changed your life. But then don't be afraid to ask a couple questions back. Don't be afraid to invite them to wrestle with your story as well. In verse 27... The man says this, right after, the, sorry, verse 26, the Pharisees asked, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And verse 27 said, he answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And, and although in this context, that's more of a challenge and, and it can re, and, and, um, result in, in a good response that way, there is beauty in the fact that if we tell our story, People ask questions, and we can ask them, what, what's it going to take for you to hear? Or we can ask them, do you want to follow Jesus too? Because the same God who made me, who was once blind, can now see. He could take away your addictions, your hurts, your habits, your hangups. He could fill those wounds that had once been tried to found in, in all these different other idols or gods that we try to seek after. This one God that though you're spiritually had been blind your whole life, you were once blind, but he could make you see. Do, do you want to be his disciple too? Do you want to experience the life change that comes with following Jesus too? Don't be afraid to ask questions like that. And then you see, we jump down a little bit further. That the Pharisees, they, they get incredulous. They get so mad that he would ask them this. And they, they said that you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then in verse 30 through 34, the man just replies and talks about how you know that God wouldn't listen to sinners. He opened my eyes. But now, if, he, if, this were not, if this man were not from God, well, he could do nothing. But then instead of allowing Jesus to change their hearts, the Pharisees go on the attack. Well, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? That sometimes it's easy for highly religious people to focus more on their traditions and not take hold of their Messiah. So then they see Jesus later on, and the man, sorry, the man meets Jesus later on, and uh, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, that the Pharisees had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Here's the most, one of the most in question, or important question he asks. The man asks, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I might believe in him. That the first question the man asks is asking the listeners if they want to follow Jesus. The second question that he asks is, who is the son of man? I want to believe. Who is our Messiah? Who is the one who can save? And that's a question that all of us either have had to ask or will need to ask. Because idols won't save us. Trying to find our identity in things, in people's opinions of us, in our possessions, 
in popularity, in power, in production, or how good we do it, those will never save us. Who is the Son of Man? I want to believe. And when Jesus says that it's him, we see that the man's life, he gave his life to the Lord, and he trusted in him. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him there in verse 38. So this is what I want to do to take the last few minutes that we see the story of a man born blind. He gives his testimony to those who didn't want to hear it, but he said his, he shared his testimony that he recognized that it's hard to argue with the changed life, that he didn't let the things he didn't know stop him from the things he did know, and that then he was able to ask the questions to either bring the listeners to a point of decision or to make sure that he knew who Jesus truly was. But for those of us and I say us because when I took the assessment, this was my number one style. It was The testimonial style was the one that, that I scored highest on. And so for those of us who have the testimonial style, there's a few. What we've been doing is that we have strengths, blind spots, cautions, suggestions, and encouragements. So again, as we've mentioned the past few weeks, if this isn't you, if you took the test and this isn't you, I'm asking you not to just turn your brain off. Um, I'm asking you not to, to, to check out. What I'm asking is that either A, start to realize the power of a powerful story, and even if it's not your strongest one, lean into that and figure out what your story is so that you can share it when it's time. B, find people who have this gift and be able to bring them around people that you are investing in. Because that may be someone who wants to argue about theology, but then they hear a story of a changed life and it's hard to argue with a changed life. So partner together. Or C, just allow us to be able to be more aware of the power of this kind of style. So the strength for this kind of style is that testimonies are powerful because listeners can easily relate and their hearts can be touched. That when I share my story and I say, you know, when I was younger and I tried to hold the family together by being perfect and my family members, uh, they would argue with one another. And as a 10-year-old boy, I thought that if I was perfect, my family would stay married and that my family would stay together. So when they didn't, what I felt like was that A, I tried to be perfect and it didn't work out. So B, I must be a failure. And so if I start to think in my mind as a 10-year-old boy that perfection or the lack of perfection equals failure. Imagine the story of the life that I've told myself, the lie that I've told myself throughout my life, that you have to be perfect. You have to have it all together. You have to make sure that no one sees your weaknesses because if you're weak, everything will fall apart. And so then what happened is because of all the burden of that, I become depressed and I become suicidal when I was from eighth grade to senior year. And I was crying out and I felt like I was all alone. I had this, this weight of the world upon me that was not my weight to bear. But as kids, we take on weights that are not ours to bear. And through that, I became depressed, suicidal, and thought that there was no hope. But then being able to recognize that I had come to a point where I, I, I met Steph and that got me out of my depression. But the problem was that then I made her my idol rather than Jesus, my Lord. And so then what happened was when we broke up, I had to come to that moment, September 20th, 2003, when I was in a guest house inn on Grand Avenue in Glendora and I was crying out to God because I knew that my idol, the, the one that I tried to find my identity with was gone. We'd broken up and, and that was it. And so I needed to take hold of the Lord and actually say, I've lived my life this way, and it led me to a point of being depressed and suicidal. God, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through that again. I surrender my life to you. That I was once blind to who Jesus was, but on September 20, 2003, I could see. 
Doesn't mean that everything's been perfect since then. And obviously there's lots of gaps, but I could share that story. And I bet some of you, without a show of hands, would say, oh yeah, I can, I can relate to the idea of trying to be perfect and having it not work out. I can relate to the idea of feeling like a failure. I can relate to the idea of feeling like the pressures of the family was on me. I can relate to the idea of being depressed and feeling alone. I can relate to the idea of feeling like there's no hope. I can relate that the power of story, the power of testimony is that people can relate and then their hearts can be touched more so than if I just robotically came up to you and said, Jesus is good, you should follow him. That just goes in one ear out the other. It doesn't mean it's not true, but the power of story opens up our hearts to receive what our head has already been telling us. That we can let go of our traditions and take hold of our Messiah. So, what I, and this, this is something that's super important too, so I want everyone to, to, to pay attention to this part too. When we hear testimonies, what are the testimonies that we tend to hear? Things like that, right? Like I was depressed and suicidal and now I have eternal life and now I have true life and things are great. We always hear and we always promote in the capital C church overall stories of drastic life change, of extraordinary life change. The ones in which someone was in the gutter and in the worst of the worst and now they have everything that the Lord has blessed them and that is great. But there are some of us, I imagine in this room and listening online, there are some of us that that is not our story. Some of our stories is we grew up in a Christian home. Nothing dramatic happened, but we have known about Jesus. We were raised in the way that we should go. And in the end, we did not depart from it. And that feels like we don't have a powerful testimony. It feels like we need to have the drama of a powerful testimony. When in reality, just the idea that someone could grow up in the faith and continue to grow in the faith and live their lives for the Lord, that's beautiful. That is a testimony that many people can relate to, but that you or many of us may not feel comfortable sharing because it doesn't have the drama, the highs and lows. It's just kind of a, a steady path walking with God. But that's a story that is powerful because that's a story that isn't heard as much, but it's the kind of story too that I hope and I pray is the kind of story that my daughters have. I want them to have the story in which they grew up in a Christian home, that they knew the love of God. They were taught in, that, in the way that they should go, and in the end, they did not depart from it. I don't want them, not that it's my choice, but I don't want them to have to have these extreme highs and extreme lows. I want them to be on a steady walk with the Lord, step by step, arm in arm with him forever. That's the kind of testimony I'd want with my kids, so they could see that beauty. So that's a story that all of us can relate to because not all of us have had extraordinary stories, but it's powerful to share whatever story we have. Just go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. The blind spot. The blind spot is that when you share your story, don't forget who the main character is. That it'd be easy for us to want to only share our side of the story, but it's the fact that God is the one who has worked in our lives. God is the one who opened our eyes. God is the one who's given us new life. Don't forget who the main character is. Now, I'm going to use an illustration from Francis Chan. And so um, I did not come up with this illustration. I heard it one time and, and wanted to share it with you. So um, I don't know how many of you have ever seen Rocky II. Has anyone ever seen Rocky II? It's the second Rocky. Very clever, right, with their naming. Um, no, so it's Rocky II. And what happens, there's a moment where in Rocky, he runs up the famous stairs, and he has this moment. In Rocky II, he starts running through the neighborhoods of Philadelphia, and all of a sudden, these kids start to, like, join him in this run. 
And so he gets to those same famous um, steps that we see in Rocky 1, and, but instead he's followed by hundreds of people. And you see this moment where, if you can show the picture, he's on the top and all these kids are celebrating and they're all surrounding him and it's so exciting. And it's one of those where you think about, oh man, what a cool story for Rocky. What a great uh, moment and, and how cool it is that everyone's supporting him. Now, Francis Chan, again, came up with this illustration. Now, when you've seen this, or even right now when you're looking at this photo, how many of you noticed the girl on the far side there in the green jacket? How many of you saw her and like, saw her right away? Probably not many of us, right? Because we're looking at Rocky. We're, we're following the story of Rocky. Now imagine what it must have been like for this girl. Imagine being this girl and recognizing that you are going to be able to be a part of this movie, that, that you're going to be running with Sylvester Stallone. Imagine watching this movie and her mom watching it and saying, oh my gosh, honey, you did such a great job. Look at you. You ran so well, one foot in front of the other. I'm so proud of you. And imagine that she's sitting there. She's like, I wore the green jacket so people could notice me. And imagine that she has this moment where now every time she sees this movie, do you think she's more naturally inclined to look at Rocky? Or do you think she's naturally going to be inclined to look at herself? And she, imagine that she goes and tells her friends, guys, I'm starring in a Hollywood movie with Sylvester Stallone is following my lead. Wait, you're following, yeah, you know, I'm the main character. What's the movie, what's it called? Rocky II, your name's not Rocky, like it's not about you. But in his, her mind, she's the one that's in there, she's the one that's part of the story, and it'd be so easy when we see our own story and the scheme of God's story, it'd be easy for us to focus on our part only while forgetting to remember that God is the main character. That history is his story, that we get to play a part in it. But our stories are not all about us. Your story is not all about you. That we were once blind, but now we see, and now we get to invite other people into God's story. So don't make it, we can't make it all about ourselves, but we need to make sure that we are pointing to who God is. It's not go and tell everybody how much you're, you're, you've been set free. That's part of it. But it's go and tell everybody how much the Lord has done for you. Keep God in the center of the story. The caution is that we need to listen enough to know what part of the testimony to share. When you're sharing with someone, listen enough to know, okay, what are the struggles they have? When I talk to people who find out that they need to feel like they're perfect, I can share that part of the story and they can relate and God can open a door. So listen enough to know what part of your testimony is shared, then ask them to consider how what God has done in your life might be applicable in theirs. The next slide is, you don't have to write all these down if you don't want, but here's a couple questions that you could ask after you've shared a testimony. In the same way that the blind man asked questions to the listeners, here's some questions you could ask. Do you feel like you can relate to any of my story? That was my experience, but how about you? What has been your experience with God? And have you ever thought about Jesus interacting in our lives in that way? Those are not hard questions. Those aren't questions that are going to put people off. Those are questions that can invite a conversation. Do you feel like you can relate to any of my story? That was my experience, but what about you? What has been your experience with God? And have you ever thought about Jesus interacting in our lives in that way? Those are just a few examples. Those aren't the be-all, end-all. You don't need to memorize that exact thing. But that opens up a conversation when you've shared your story. So the caution is, again, not to just make it a part of yourself, but listen and then ask. Suggestion. Take time to memorize bullet points for the three stages of your journey. 
before Jesus, your commitment to him, and what your life has been like since. So you may not need to actually write that out, but for some of us, writing it out helps because if someone were in, you know, you have that typical elevator speech idea, not that this is an elevator speech, but we are trying to lift people up to the Lord, but it's one of those ideas where we start to say things like, okay, what, what has Jesus done in your life? If you say, oh, well, back in July 7th, 1984, I was born on a Saturday morning. And like, if you go with every detail, you're going to miss, you're going to miss them. And it won't be what you want it to be. Instead, it's like, okay, what are the befores of my life? I was depressed. I was suicidal. I thought I had to be perfect. I was overwhelmed. And I felt like I was at the end of my rope. Then what was it like during your commitment to him? Well, I recognized that I had lived my life the certain way before. And I knew that if I did that the same way, that I wouldn't be able to survive. So I had to commit my life to Jesus, surrender, and just say, God, my life is yours. What has your life been like since? Well, since then. I've recognized that my identity is not in how much I do and how perfect I am. My identity is in what God has done and how perfect Jesus is. So even when I make mistakes, I find my identity in who he is, not in what I do or what other people think of me or what I own. How freeing it is to have my eyes who were once blind and now being able to see. And God has walked alongside me in the journey ever since. Now, for you, your story is different, but if you wrote down two to three bullet points for each one and then just memorize that and just started to share, and it's not like a script, you need to memorize each line, but just remember, here are the big points that might open up the door for me to have a conversation with someone. And if we keep it to before Jesus, my commitment to him and what my life's been like since, it's what happened to this man right here. He said, I once was blind. I don't know all the answers. He told me to do this. My commitment to him is he told me that I needed to wash my hand or wash my eyes in the Siloam and I come back and, and now I'm not blind anymore. I can see. And now I've made my commitment to him. And ever since then, I don't know all the answers, but I know that Jesus is the one I believe in. This is the pattern that we see in John 9. Lastly, the beauty, the encouragement here is that the beauty and simplicity of the gospel is highlighted through clear communication and a compelling story. And you can do it. Let me give you an example. From becoming a contagious Christian, leave that up there for a minute uh, just because people can fill it in. Um, becoming a contagious Christian is the book from which we are getting a lot of information of these six uh, evangelism styles. It's a good book. I'd encourage you to, to look into it. It's also part of, it's part of a DVD series. So you kind of have to have both. Uh, we'll probably offer it at some point. But anyways, what they do is they talk about the simplicity of how you can share the gospel story. Now, if we're here to tell a story, how do we tell the story? What is God's story and how does our story fit into that? So then, this is an illustration many of you have seen before, but it's an illustration that's in the book. And it talks about this idea that there's four points to God's story. And it's simple and it's beautiful. Number one, the, main, the first part of it is that God loves us. That when we were created, he gave us life and life to the full. That we were created in his image and we were meant to... To know him in a deep, personal way. The problem is, number two, is that we blew it. That we blew it. That because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that we are now separated from God. That the wages of sin is death. That we recognize that there is now no hope for us on our own. That there is a chasm in between us and God because of our sin. So, number one is that God loves us. Number two is that we blew it. Number three is that Christ paid for it. That because the cross of Christ has now come in between our gap, that now we are able to have eternal life, not because of anything we've done, because our righteousness is as filthy rags, but because of what he's done, because of his righteousness, 
He who knew no sin became sin so we might become the righteousness of God. And so, one, God loves us. Two, we blew it. Three, Christ paid for it. And four, we must receive him. It's not enough just to hear that and to know that he paid for it. We must actually confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. We must receive Jesus as Lord and as our Savior. It's not enough to intellectually understand it because what does James say? That even the demons know that who Jesus is and they shudder. So it's not about pure intellectual knowledge. It's about full heart life change. We must receive him. So if you're a storyteller, if you have a testimonial style, you just write down these words. You say that God loves us. We blew it. Christ paid for it. We must receive him. God loves us. We blew it. Christ paid for it. We must receive him. And if we start learning how to incorporate that story into when we talk to people, well, what does the gospel even mean? You know what it means? It means that God loves us. He created us to have life and life eternal. We blew it because of sin. And now sin has become a part of our nature from the very beginning of time through now. None of us are good enough on our own, but Praise the Lord, number three, Christ paid for it. And now we can have eternal life, but we must receive him. And like the question that John chapter 9, 26 asked from the man born blind to the, uh, to the Pharisees, it says, now that you've heard that, would you like to be his disciples too? Would you like to let go of your traditions and take hold of your Messiah? Would you like to have your eyes and the blindness fall to the wayside so that you can see? And so people love a good story. What better story can you tell than how Jesus changed your life? And I just want to close with a story really briefly about a man who was leading a Bible study. This is from Jim Putman's book called Real Life Discipleship. And, and he shares a story of a man who was in the Bible study with other uh, people. And he was in charge of telling the story that night. And so this way the they, they do it is that they have them memorize a story. And one person will be in charge of telling the story that night at Bible study. The other people will follow along. They'll make sure that there's no details mentioned, but, or sorry, no details forgotten. Um, and so the person who's leading it memorizes it. And through memorizing it, it goes deep into their hearts. And then the other people start to, to learn it as well and follow along. And then they have that continuing on. Well, this man was really nervous about sharing the story. So he asked his wife, he says, hey, I'm in charge of telling the story this week. Can I tell you the story through it? And can I practice it on you? And she says, yes, of course. And so she, he practices it the first night or two, but then she's gone. And so she, he then reaches out to his 17-year-old son who started to walk away from the Lord a little bit ago and says, hey, I'm so kind of worried about this story. Can, you, uh, can I tell it to you? Can you follow along and make sure I don't miss anything? His son obliges. And they start to tell the story over the next couple of nights. And so then when the night comes for the Bible study, the man, the father says, hey, you know what, um, would you, you've heard my story, would you just like to be able to come and just like support me, thanks for helping me out. The son says, yes, I'll go. And right before the dad is supposed to start telling the story, he gets a call from work that he thought would be done in time, but all of a sudden it was going much longer than he expected. And so he's outside of the room listening to this phone call. He finally ends it, and as he walks in getting ready to tell the story, he sees that his son has already started telling it. That his son memorized the story from hearing it so much. And that the, he thought he was, he didn't know if he should interrupt, but the leaders, he just winked at him. was like, no, 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 let him go. And so the son tells the whole story. And then the son starts coming back to the Bible study. And then the son gives his life to the Lord. Recommits. See, there's a power in story. 
If we all became the kind of storytellers that memorized our story, that didn't let the things that we don't know affect or stop us from sharing the things that we do know, that if we were to able to say, listen, I don't know all the answers. I once was blind, but now I see. I know that much. And would you like to be a disciple of his as well? And if we remember the idea that God loves us, we blew it, Christ died, or Christ paid for it, and we must receive him, then we will be equipped to be able to share those who love a good story, and we would have the opportunity to tell them the best story ever, the story of how Jesus changed our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord, and I pray, God, that you... Um, God, you stir within our hearts, Lord, that maybe for some of us, we feel like we don't have a story. We feel like our story is, is I don't know, boring or, or not as exciting or filled with drama as other stories. Lord, I pray that you would eliminate that um, feeling within us, God, because we are not the main characters of our story. You are, Lord, and you are the author of our story. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so as you write our story, may we just share what you've done for us. May we be able to, through prayer and through time with you, be able to write down our before you, our commitment to you, and what's life's been like since we've been with you. May we be able to know that we can share story and open up the doors of people's hearts to be able to receive the hope that comes from you and you alone, Jesus. And may we, as we sing this song together in just a couple moments, may we remember that we have been the recipients of amazing grace. That we have been the recipients of, of something that is far greater than we could ever have hoped for or imagined on our own. And that we would be able to know that no matter what we've come into this room with, no matter what our background has been, no matter what ups and downs our lives have had, that we are able to say, and I pray that we'll be able to say that we once were blind, but now... Because of your amazing grace, Lord Jesus, because of your healing power, Lord Jesus, because, Holy Spirit, where you are, there is freedom. Because of your amazing grace, we once were blind, but now we see. May you be glorified, Lord. Thank you for the story you've written in our lives. May we go and tell others how much you, our Lord, have done for us. And may we sing about your amazing grace together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. so much for being here this morning and I hope and I pray that no matter what story God has written in your life that whether you feel like it's 
as powerful, as impactful as maybe others, don't let that discourage you. Just tell people, go to your homes, go to your workplace, go to your neighborhoods, go to the places that God has put you, and just tell them how much the Lord has done for you, that once you were blind, but now you see, and that God will open up those doors so that people will come to know Jesus through a testimonial style of evangelism, because people love a good story. We know this. So let's tell them the greatest story, how Jesus changed our lives. Thank you all so much for coming. There's so many things for you to sign up and stuff outside. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.